netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from fxguide.com. Thanks for downloading this FX Guide podcast. I'm Mike Seymour, and our guest in this episode is Josh Mandel. Josh was recently appointed the new global head or CEO of The Mill. Now, The Mill is one of the most successful creative effects houses in the world. Uh, before we get to the show, I just wanted to explain that I'm standing in for John Montgomery in this uh, introduction simply because he's sick. Hopefully, we don't think it's COVID, it's just the flu. We certainly hope you're feeling better soon, John. Now, as most of you know, when we founded FX Guide, while Jeff Huser was in feature film production, both John and I were flame artists, basically, and VFX supervisors of commercial work or TVC. Josh's appointment to the mill is a really interesting uh, step. It's a strategic move as part of the mill's of sort of evolution, I guess, from a post-production facility to a full-service creative studio. Basically, uh, creating, inventing, producing, executing work directly for brands, in addition to their agency work and production company clients. Josh is spearheading the business's repositioning as a place, not just as like a finishing uh, or a post house, but as a, a creator of ideas, a conceptual hub that will challenge and solve problems for their various brand partners. To that end, on the 22nd and to the 26th of March, they're actually presenting a Future of Creative Technology, which is a, a free virtual event uh, open to everybody. So that's um, coming up in March. Josh himself, who is a really uh, insightful and knowledgeable guy, has an extensive client-side experience at companies like uh, Nike, agencies like Whedon Kennedy, uh, 72 and Sunny, and just a bunch of other companies before he was at the mill. So uh, it has a really good insight into kind of consumer trends. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him because I was very keen to understand the kind of evolving role of the mill as a creative studio, because the era of the big TVC, you could, well, I don't think it's it's over, but it's certainly media has fragmented enormously. And so advertising really needs to be a story now, as we'll discuss, much more than a, just a supporter of somebody else's story. That being said, if you watched the Super Bowl this year, you would have seen a ton of uh, TVCs by the mill. But I'm pretty sure the mill had more actual spots in the Super Bowl that they were involved with than any other company. Um, so the mill bridges those two worlds, the classic TVC world, certainly that that a bunch of us came through where the client was an agency and there'd be a production company and you'd come up with new and innovative looks and treatments to this new world where you're actually questioning whether it should even be a TVC or what that kind of communication should be, as you'll hear as I sit down and talk to Josh Mandel. So I was incredibly keen uh, to talk to you for a number of reasons. I guess uh, not least of which is I actually started my career professionally in advertising, doing visual effects. And that world was very different from the one that you are now sort of leading the mill into. Um, so I guess if you could just start by maybe elaborating that evolving role as, as a sort of a creative studio, uh, which is a long way really from the traditional idea of a post house. Yeah. I mean, I think the, um, the the way it's been framed up, I'm not sure out there, but in the States certainly is, you know, human beings have a tendency to see things as very kind of black and white and, and with kind of the changes in the agency landscape and, you know, television advertising and traditionally where companies like the the mill has uh, played, they tend to see that as the, the demise of one area and, and then the question of where things are going. Um, we, we, we tend to 
consider it to be more of an evolution in terms of what VFX is for the market and what it can mean. Um, I think our our relationship, particularly through um, the, our LA studio with EA, is a good example of that. Where um, the it's a relationship that we have directly with EA. It, it was initially started through a directorial capability that we've got with different creative directors in house. But you know, ninety five percent of the work that we do for them, you would call VFX because it's it, it's CG, it's animation. Um, so uh, what you know, what is that? that that's long form content that could run on TV, it could run online. Um, but at its core, the fulfillment is VFX. So I think that's kind of the the world that we're all attempting to navigate right now is um, th there is still a world that is driven by brands who who want to storytell, they want to create visual images that call upon our ability with VFX. And, and more and more, we're finding that we need to add kind of more capability around that um, in order to, to answer the call, so to speak. Because there's been this evolution over the last, like, I guess, 20 years in, in three important areas. The first one is like the agencies themselves, which used to have you know, a major income stream from placing the actual advertising. And then the creative, obviously, as you know, was originally just there as the sort of thing, the, the sweetener to get them in. But that's completely fragmented. The, uh, the news and TV landscape where, of course, you know, network televisions would get uh, incredibly high ratings and everyone just wanted to be on TV. And that was a sort of a well-understood model. And then, and then in the world of production, post-production, it seems that, that, as I said before, you've moved to this uh, place where you need to be creative. But there were revenue streams that supported that, like uh, duplication work back in the day and a bunch of other things. And just even editorial, where it was all the equipment was so expensive that the CapEx alone required someone to go to a place. But but really, the mill, from an outsider's point of view, survives more than it ever has before on just the creative competence of the creative staff and, of course, their supporting team players. Like, how hard is it to, to get that model understood that it really now is, you know, most of your IP walks out the door at the end of the night to go home to their families? Yeah. Look, it's the, as you know, from your experience, it's the, the hardest reputation to, to build over time. And it's the easiest one to lose if you drop your standards. And I think, um, I think the, the, the judgment on the things that we're creating, um, how, how you classify quality, I guess, maybe, um, is another thing that's evolving. You know, I think it was historically through the narrow lens of, of creating a very beautiful image for a screen that we all knew, which was the TV. And I think more and more where, where things are evolving is um, the brands, uh, companies that are trying to reach people, um, they're recognizing that the storytelling is happening in more and more in different places. Um, the CES, last year, not this past year, but last year was really interesting because it seemed like the common theme was how everything was turning into a screen. You know, everything from new um, new startup companies in the um, the automotive space that were creating, you know, because it's a, we're moving to a self-driving world. So you had, I think the, the Chinese company was called Byte, had like a, a 80 centimeter screen that, that was, you know, going across. So I think that's a little bit of where the world is going is, is um, how, how do we as a company continue to maintain a well-earned reputation for creating things that people actually want to engage with? Um, and how do we do that in more and more places with more and more opportunity? I think the, 
the conversation within the industry has been a little bit about uh, if you've got the demise of TV on one hand, and, and you know you've got where everybody's looking at content now, which is on their their mobiles, is there, there's a kind of a, a quality conversation between a big screen to a small screen. I think the reality is is that this, the proliferation of screens is going to increase, and then how do we? Well, I don't know if it's the mill's responsibility, but I think all collectively we'll have to make sure that we're not overwhelming people with <clears throat> with moving image at that stage. Just to pick up on a point you made there about engagement. So the thing that um, I remember even in the early days when we were doing stuff, I used to be sort of a little concerned that people were focusing on, say, a 30-second spot inside the spot parameters. And I used to always sort of say, well, but hang on, we've sort of got to make them actually look up and look at the screen for the 30 seconds for even to have the opportunity for the message to get in. And it seems that's more and more the case that like I can skip ads, I can just watch on streaming where there aren't ads, I can, uh, even the even the title sequences of shows have skip buttons now. So isn't like one of the big problems while we're on this end of the, the business, that just problem of finding stuff that actually causes people to wanna look at those screens, wherever those screens are, rather than, than necessarily what's even yet in the screens, like there's a first problem just to get their eyes. Hundred percent, yeah. And I think you know it's a it's a bigger conversation about creativity, but I think it's also one that that from the larger kind of marketing industry as a whole, I think there's been a a bit of a head fake over the past few years, which is the focus on kind of the the automation of media placement, certainly through digital channels, is kind of a solution for things. And and we've we've shifted away from the conversation of are we actually creating things that people are going to want to see and engage with? So yeah, yeah, great. You know, you can promise that with a, a high degree of accuracy, you're going to deliver my ad in front of my target. But if my target hates the ad, then what have you actually accomplished? Or 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 even worse, if my target thinks the ad is, is so uh, benign that, that they don't engage with it at all, they didn't even realize that they saw it. Um, I, I think that's really the challenge for all of us. But um, in in a weird way, I, I feel like you know, look, I, I'm I'm a man of a certain age. When I started out, we had we had essentially three creative solutions: we could do TV ads, we could do a radio and, and spot, and and we could do some out of home or print. Um, that that world has completely changed. But I but I don't think that the the underlying challenge has changed, which is how do you create stories that are going to get people to engage. And, and part of that storytelling is the actual, it's it's the underlying message, but it's also the the way the story is presented. It's the visualization of it. Um, I think the, the brands and the companies that embrace that, the challenge of that creativity are the ones that are gonna rise to the top. One of the things that I've been impressed with in the recent round, I mean, I've been impressed with a lot of the ads you guys know, but in the recent round, if we just did draw on a couple of examples from the Super Bowl, like, you know, research has shown that it's not just about storytelling, obviously, because we don't want to just do stories that no one can remember the brand. And then similarly, if we stick brands all over it, they don't actually remember it. So you kind of have this interesting uh, sort of creative slash, I don't know what you call it, almost psychological thing that, that you guys have to walk, which is you need to incorporate the brand at the right point. You need to have the story to get them to kind of engage and sort of be curious and kind of lean into it. But if your brand is in the wrong place, or not there enough at all, it, it's a waste of money. And that's that's an interesting job. You guys seem to be centrally poised to kind of help, I guess, agencies, and also just the actual clients avoid that thing of just sticking the brand in and thinking that it's going to do it alone. Would you agree? 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, part of it, I guess it depends on which part of the, the business that we're doing. You know, I think if you're if you're talking about a traditional kind of post relationship, then then I hope that it's one of those instances where we're creating a character like, um, you know, the, the, we've got a long standing relationship with Goodby around um, Liberty Mutual ads and the character of the emu. So, you know, they, they've they've, I think, rightly hewed to uh a part of effective storytelling, which is making sure that you don't walk away from a message after a short amount of time. Um, I, I remember uh, during the, I, I was client side at Nike for a few years, and, and one of the things we used to joke about there was that people wanted to walk away from campaigns before the campaign had actually even launched, because you're just the cycle and the speed with which you're kind of doing your work and, and reacting to things. So I think that's part of it is that, you know, that, that um, we've had the, the blessing to work with with marketers, either a Nike who, who stays on message, if not on creative execution, um, or the Goodby example. Um, but I think that's definitely part of it. And the other part of it is, which I, I think we're, we're navigating at the same time as brands are, again, getting back to the, the way the TV used to work compared to the way it does now, is, is nobody's waiting around for the moment of the Super Bowl anymore. Like that most of it, I think this year, 100% of the work that showed up on the Super Bowl showed up in a digital format or in a digital channel at some point before that. So how do you how do you change your model of storytelling in order to account for that? Because there's not the aha moment as much anymore. So, so we've we've obviously rightly pointed to the value of your creative team, but by the same token, the company has been the forefront of using new technologies albeit not to replace creative, but to support it. But we've also experiencing this, uh, I guess, concatenation, this like incredible focus of tech to allow things to happen more quickly, but in, to more of a collaborative kind of interactive sense. I'm thinking that this whole idea of like, you know, seeing something on set and then waiting much later till you see that green screen comp versus say an LED volume or whatever, where people are interacting in it. Um, how is that changing things from your perspective? Is that is that just amplifying stuff that's already been happening with your business model or is it helping to do something new? Yeah, I mean, I think the, there's a couple different ways. The, the one that I think most people are familiar with in the, in the space of virtual production and, and what, you know, the incredible computing power game engines like, um, you know, companies like Epic and Unreal are, are able to enable are, I think you can get, there's a speed to decision-making that didn't exist before, the ability to, to do things in a, in a virtual environment that make decisions for what you do in the real environment is great. Um, but I think also the, the ability to actually create in, not to overuse the phrase real time, but, but to create in real time is also, I think, to me, as exciting. Um, we did a, a uh, a fun thing with EA around the, the game show awards last year where um, we were using a couple of the apex characters and we we're doing, you know, mocap and, and real time rendering so that the character on screen was interacting live with the host of the game. Um, and you think about that space of the, the idea of actually having a creative element that we used to call an asset. I don't even know if you can call it an asset anymore because it's, it's actually in, in life, it's in action. Um, that 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 opens up a whole new space, I think. And you know, we we've seen it already explored a bit uh, through motion pictures. I forget the name of the movie, but it was that one with Al Pacino. There was a, a virtual character uh, female in it. But um, you know, I, I think I think that's actually starting to happen. Um, I don't I don't know that the um, the actual you know kind of like the the render and the quality of the image is quite there yet to fool anybody. I think there's still quite a bit of uncanny valley there. Um, but, but that's, uh, that's definitely an exciting space. 
Yeah, because if the technology is making it sort of quicker and more collaborative, the other huge difference that you have to deal with, I guess, is the idea that instead of any model of I'm going to make a piece, which I'm going to show to a lot of people and try and engage with them, we're now walking into sort of the creative being able to meld with the, hey, I'm going to do a piece that's targeted at Josh or at Mike. And that because I can do things in real time, because I can customize things, I can actually uh, engage to the individual, like a kind of a personalized version. And Mm. that's got to be on your planning horizon, right? Like massive kind of personalization. Uh, I don't know if it's on our horizon. Um, I'm sure it's on a lot of people's horizons. Uh, I I hope that we'll all have sorted out our own personal feelings around uh, privacy and (laughs) what what we're willing to to allow into our lives at that point. But yeah, I mean, obviously the the specificity of of the combination of the data sets that, that, you know, come through social media and come through our engagement online with um, a more effective kind of serving up of the things that we might be interested in. I, I mean, look, I, as, as much as we've had advancements, I think we've all seen, we, we've all experienced the, the ads that chase us around the internet after we've happened to have looked at that single pair of shoes. And there's a tremendous amount of, of, of place to go, but, but maybe we'll all get there at the same time. What about the notion of social media with influencers? Like you can have both obviously just an influencer as a, an individual, but you can have actually digital influencers, little Michaela, that kind of stuff. Is that something that the mill would be interested in exploring more? Yeah. I mean, we, we're, um, we, we've got uh, a proprietary, semi-proprietary kind of thing called um, Mill Mascot, which is a platform that we've been using to do uh, more real-time render of characters. Um, you will have seen some of the, the work we've done before, we had uh, Tony the Tiger from uh, Kellogg's appear on uh, the, the the Colbert show. Um, we've done some work with M&Ms. I think the, the next space we're pushing out to, um, we've got a creative showcase coming up uh, in March, uh, more, late March 22nd, where we'll have uh, an actual um, avatar showing up real time to participate in the event. So it's, it's, it's yeah, that opportunity to kind of um, purpose build uh, people and ideas that will serve a particular audience uh, is, again, it's a very exciting space. It kind of folds into that kind of brand personality space, isn't it? I mean, you can you can do a lot of brand personality by associating yourself with obviously with a, like an athlete, but you can also actually start to build actual faces of brands. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think especially as you're, you're pushing into spaces where there aren't people necessarily associated with that space gaming being a, obviously a very broad one but you know there, there aren't with sports you've got sports figures who are already kind of like the icons within those environments but there, there are definitely a lot of spaces where the the personalization and the and the identity creation would be would actually be something new a client still coming to you wanting like something new they haven't seen before or is it more we want an idea i mean because there was an era there right where it was you'd got their attention because it was something they haven't seen before but i've got a feeling that the audiences are so media savvy lately they can kind of imagine anything can be done so it's hard to top i don't know what, what's your thoughts the, the briefs um i mean you know the the mills history i think our briefs tend to be a little bit more in the space of we'd really like to accomplish x but we don't know how to do it so there's a, a long kind of red thread of, of the mill as creative problem solvers um, for, for our partners that, that we still hold to. 
but we do get the occasional brief of the never been seen before. And, and that, you know, requires a little bit of unpacking around, you know, what, what, what actually is it that you're trying to accomplish? Because uh, there's a lot of things the world has seen before, but that doesn't necessarily mean that anybody wants to see them to begin with, you know? Um, but yeah, I think that uh, the, the thing that's really interesting is I think more and more as, as you get new generations of, of technology savvy, uh, social media savvy, digitally savvy people who are now coming up into these professional roles within companies, there's a there's a broader there's a broader palette, there's a broader kind of remit, I think, that, that, that exists in terms of what the solution could be. They're not as tied to individual channels or not as tied to a, a single technology solution. Which I think is just broadening the the opportunity for all of us in the, in the industry. Does that also reflect in the skill base of your sort of uh, creative artists? In the sense that you know we used to be, we had gone down a path of a lot of specialization because it was like such a complicated problem. You break it up into little bits, and each person has their own specialty. I, I, do you think that your staff in that sort of I'm not talking about senior creatives, but you know like generally the hardworking guys and, and girls in the middle, are they more generalists or are they still specialists? I mean, traditionally what we've always had is we've had um, young people come in as more generalists and then when they find their passion, they, they kind of start running down that lane. Um, but the one thing I think that's different is there's more of an expectation that there's going to be a bleed of, of the things that they're doing. So, you know, even before my time, but now that I've kind of come into this role, there was a little bit of even internally, a little bit of a kind of a, a bit of a, a divide between the group that was doing VFX and the group that was doing more of what you might call emerging technology or the application of the game engine stuff. But I think more and more with each succeeding wave of people who are coming in, they, they, there's an expectation on their part that there's more of a bleed of how those things work together. Um, and again, like they, not to overstate it, but the EA relationship has been a great opportunity for people to just kind of to see all of this stuff in play, you know, so we're not just doing, uh, you know, longer pieces of content to, to promote the games. We're also doing the, the live event piece for them. And it, and it all feels of a piece. It all feels of a relationship. Um, so I think that's kind of what you're seeing more and more with each succeeding generation is just this, they, they don't see the world as divided as, you know, me with my three media channels used to. <laughs> so let's assume for a second, your senior people or people that you, you know, got either joined because you knew them or, you know, obviously you knew their reputations and stuff for, for the less senior members of the team. What's the calling card that people come to the mill with these days? Is it still a showreel? Um, is in a sense of like a website kind of destination with a sort of a movie or like, what is it that you look for? or will your team look for in, in uh, hiring in terms of just advice to somebody that's interested in getting into a company like the mill? I, th I think it's, we're, we're looking for people who love craft and who love to make, you know, we're, we're doing in, in uh, a marketing campaign right now about ourselves. It's about makers at heart, but really leaning into that sense of um, the people who are attracted to work at a place like the mill are, are because they actually want to get their hands in the, the production of something. Um, there, there are plenty of places that do, you know, brilliant work on strategy and brand architectures and things like that. You know, that's that's not the mill. That's that. Um, I think it's that, and then I think it's also again that that red thread of there is a there is a an expectation that the mill is going to be able to solve uh, creative problems that, that 
sure, you can come to us and, and give us the brief and tell us exactly what you want, and, and we can knock that out of the park. But more often than not, there's there's a there's an issue, there's a gap, there, there's a, a thing that needs to be wrestled with, and I think that's the the type of person who is always attracted to working at the mill. So. In this media savvy landscape where people are like you even said yourself, the clients are like, you know, sort of pretty tech savvy. I, I'm curious, it seems to me that one of the things that is a has real currency is authenticity. And quite often authenticity is coming from the non-polished look, the mm. the the sense that, well, I got, for me, it's annoying, right? When people say, oh, it was done for real. It wasn't done with visual effects. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's really a doctor. They're really operating, you know? <laughs> but anyway, leaving that aside for a second, yeah, <laughs> there, there is this sort of visual authenticity that seems to resonate when it doesn't look like it's too polished. Um, and that in itself is a kind of a struggle because it can't look amateurish either. Um, do you... And I'm just interested in your comments on this idea of, of that sort of visual authenticity and being too polished. Yeah, no, it, that's a, I, I think you and I could probably talk about this for a solid hour. It's it's a fascinating thing because I can, I think you can see it weaving a couple different ways. I think on the one hand, you've got the the quick turn expectation of social channels where where you know they, you can put beautiful things there and they will be appreciated um but they're not always needed when when the appetite is for the for the quick turn but by the same token when you look at what's going on with the you know the latest releases of both the the Xbox and PS5 the expectation of of real uh, genius craft is also elevating at the same time so you know going back to that avatar example the expectation because of the gaming world would be the avatar showing up in a social situation or a social channel would actually be incredibly beautiful. And that's less about the channel and it's more about the place where that expectation was originally created, which is on this console environment. So I think we're getting a real intermix of, of what authenticity means, kind of dictated in part by the channel that you're sitting in and in part by what the technology can actually render and create for somebody. So do you feel like there is a credibility gap that has to be filled? Or if it's just good creative, you're not playing on the credibility playing field and so it's sort of off the table. Do you mix my metaphors completely? <laughs> <laughs> if I if I understand your, your question correctly, I'll answer it. And if I didn't, tell me. But um, I think on the credibility gap, I think that the most important thing more and more for any any creative piece to actually to to get over that bar of credibility is you have to show an appreciation for your audience. You have to understand where they are, why they're there, what their expectation is within that environment. If you can actually push that expectation and give them something a little bit better or or more um, authentic or real than they were expecting, then all the better. Um, but but you know again, it goes back to old, old standards, I think. When, when you when you capable capably and effectively show that you understand who you're speaking to and what their wants and desires are and you can do that in a way that actually brings them a little uh surprise and delight then i i think you're doing the job and i'd be remiss talking to you as i am uh with the pandemic on not to check on on how you're running the company um, I, I guess how many people are in the mill and and are they all distributed at the moment Yes, we're we're shy of a thousand, and um, we are all uh, distributed. I'm just trying to think through. Yeah, India is still distributed as well. Um, we we were actually uh, able to go remote 
within a week in all locations, which kind of floored me. Um, but we have uh, a pretty amazing engineering team who was able to accomplish that. Um, but I, you know, I think the if if we're facing anything as a, a challenge as a company right now, it's it's um, we've all been away from each other too long. I, I know that there's a lot of talk about um, the opportunities that that this recognition of a, a, a work from home environment is going to create for companies. Uh, for us as a creative company and, and, and how much of uh, an artist development happens by, by those hallway conversations or when you kind of roll over and just ask for the, hey, how do you do this thing again? Um, we, we're, we're missing that interaction. Um, but but we, we've been able to, to, you know, more than keep the lights on and keep the business going during, the, during this situation. When, um, when COVID first happened, it seemed like if anyone could get anything happening, it was a miracle, right? So like, you know, the expectation was let's all pull together and sort of say, well, yeah, now we're that far into it. I'm wondering like how hard is it to keep an employee feeling like they're a mill employee and not just somebody in a team, which is arbitrarily whatever it is, because here I am sitting at home working, so I could be working for anyone. In other words, what makes them feel part of a team and in particular a mill team? Yeah. It's tough. I mean, the 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 way that a lot of the things again that that used to be kind of um, happenstance makes it sound not planned. But a lot of the interactions you would have somebody were 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 the natural things in a day while while you were in a physical space at work. So a lot of the conversation that we have with um, our managers, especially, is to to make sure that they're proactively reaching out and having conversations with people that aren't about work, that are about just checking in and saying like, hey, how's your life going? How are things going? Um, I think the, the phase we're about to move into, ironically enough, is as things start to feel more optimistic with um, with vaccines being more readily available and this kind of feeling that we're, we're returning back to something, at the end of the day, change just introduces instability. And I think we're actually gonna kind of go through another wave where where people are starting to think like, oh, okay, wow, there is an opportunity for me to get back, but what's that gonna be like? And is it gonna be the same environment? So the, the only way to, to deal with that is to, to maintain as much human interaction and contact as you can with people, um, you know? I mean, sorry, after, I no, I was, gonna, I was just gonna say, cause like, you know, the Mill LA is like a, just a gorgeous building. It's a cool place to hang out, but it has a good vibe to it. And I mean, obviously you want to, you know, have important uh, people skills from your managers and line managers, but there is something to be said for just like a corporate culture that comes from the kind of mood and vibe that you get at a place and, you know, hanging out at your places, I've done only a couple of times, but like, it's just a good vibe, right? It's like friendly and it's open and, uh, and it's hard to get that culture going. It's a problem you're facing, every company's facing, but a creative yeah. company in particular faces it, doesn't it? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, it's again, it's that I've seen a couple of things that are kind of uh, predicting the the, the sea change in, in how we work, and I think a lot of those sea changes kind of um, gloss over the fact that that we're human animals, and, and a lot of a lot of what we, a lot of how we succeed in life is by physical presence with one another. Um, so while it, I, it's great for our industry because I think what it has done is it's opened the idea that a lot of talent that we wouldn't have normally considered because they don't live in the same places as us, it opens the door to a different consideration of how we can kind of incorporate those people into the idea of the mill. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, we're not, um, well, I, 
we we're a creative industry. I was whatever I was going to say. I felt like I might be casting aspersions on other industries, but you know, uh-huh. we're, we're we're a creative industry, yeah. and a lot of creative creativity is just that that bouncing off of one another. So yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, it, we we've taken our culture has taken a hit um, it, because the, a lot of our culture exists in in the the cracks and spaces of the day of where people just have that chance to interact with one another. It's much more fun standing around a whiteboard and kicking around in the coffee room than it is trying to do something on Zoom to brainstorm, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but if you've lost yeah. something, have you gained anything? I mean, I guess one of the things that we're always been concerned about is work-life balance, especially making sure enough women can join uh, the industry. And um, not that the mill has a bad reputation in this area, but I'm just saying like some of these things from working the home may facilitate some improvements. I'm wondering, is there an upside, you think, moving back? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I alluded to before, the upside is I think it's it's opened the door to a consideration of talent that it, either for geographic or other reasons we might not have considered in the past. I think that's a big plus. Um, I think the other the other thing is that um, it has made us more transparent to ourselves. So uh, a big, uh, not so much public, but a change that we've gone through in the time that I've been here is an evolution from what, what is essentially kind of a series of studios stacked up together to more of a, a global network approach to things. And I think if we had attempted to do that in a non-COVID time, it would have been infinitely more difficult. But but I think, you know, we, we pretty much overnight had to get used to this as a way of interacting. Um, I'll be honest, I was, I was one of those guys who, you know, as often as not, would claim that the video wasn't working because I didn't enjoy getting on video calls, but, but it's, the, it's the reality of how we interact now. But, but a benefit to us is it has made us, at a time that we're trying to be more globally networked, it's also made us more present for one another than we were in the past. So um, there, there is a benefit that will be taken out of it, which I think is that outside of the kind of individual studio cultures and environments, we, we also have more of a global feel to the business now that we didn't have before. So if you're running the clock forward a few years, and I only mean a couple of years, because I always think these things five or 10 years down the track are just far too, <laughs> it's just irrelevant to try and predict them, right? But a couple of years yeah. down the track, assuming that um, we are getting back with vaccines and, uh, and other sort of uh, social tools that facilitate getting on top of the pandemic, the business side of things, like how the creative teams are running, do you see that uh, having any, like what's your sort of direction for that? Where would you like to see it go? Uh, leaving aside, as I say, getting back to work and and stuff, where would you like to see your, your company's focus for the next couple of years? I mean, I think part of it is you, 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 you see we're all tracking kind of the evolution of the business and the recognition that um, what traditionally used to be solely advertising spend is now kind of migrating across the, 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 the full uh, marketing spend of companies. And, and so we, like everybody are kind of watching that and, and uh, recognizing the opportunities of where a company like the mill can step forward and be a, a resource for brands as they're um, seeking to do different things in the market. Uh, so I think, Part of it is going to be um, an increasing uh, diversity of, of the types of people and capabilities that we have in the building. Um, I think starting from VFX, our core will always be visual storytelling. That, that's what we're known for in the market. And it, it will always be kind of our, our calling card for brands. Um, I think the way that we execute that is changing. The technologies that we used to do it are changing. Obviously, we talked about that before. Um, 
I, I, I think there's a big opportunity for us. You know, diversity um, is an important word for us um, culturally because of what happened uh, in the U.S. over the last summer. Um, but also when you think about the types of people that we have in the building from a, um, a thinking standpoint, from a creative standpoint, I would just want to push further in that direction because I think, um, to your point, the analogy of the whiteboard, like that that is the moment when you get different people with different points of view centered around the same problem that's where the magic in our industry happens and um i think that is kind of the the north star for for who we're going to be as a company is is where we'll be pushing are you going to structure your just to follow up on that are you going to structure your teams any differently moving forward or, or are you because i mean you know there's this sort of notion of like oh you've got a strategic team over here and you've got some producers that go get some work and then we've got you know the teams that actually are sitting in the the digital trenches as it were getting the work done but it seems to me that if you you know start having these cross-functional kind of smaller agile teams that are not just i'm sitting with all the 3d guys but i'm actually in the same room where that whiteboard is because I'm going to be on set or because my LED wall requires my work to be up front, not at the end. Like a lot of that stuff, I'm just wondering how, how the teams or how the mill is going to be structuring those groups or is it, is it an amorphous thing that changes on a, do you have project specific teams or do you have like departments? How does it run? Yeah, I mean, currently we've got, I would say like groupings of people, you know, we've got, we've got our, our CG Group, we've got our 2D group. There's obviously a huge amount of bleed depending upon the, the projects that have come in and, and how we assemble the teams to answer them. Um, the, more and more, we're, I, I would never say, well, uh, since I say it to you now, it's going to become internal. So here's my new here's my in, new internal practice. We're trying to introduce a little more chaos at the beginning of projects and engagements. Um, I think a big part, and I used to see it on the creative agency side too, is that when you've got somebody who's already kind of gatekeeping the type of people who are who are right for a project, you lose the you lose that um, that creative chaos at the beginning. Uh, I would rather have people kind of hold their hand up and say, "Hey, I've looked at the brief, but I, I don't have anything to add here. I'm going to go do this other project." Um, I, th I think that's always part of the challenge is is um, the the kind of uh, the 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 chaos and the unintended consequences um that can happen when you do that the there's a great book um called uh by stephen johnson called um oh god i'm spacing the name now uh where creativity comes from i think um he talks about this idea of the adjacent possible and it's the you know when, when you're set next to a thing that isn't a part of your thing what kind of weird connections can happen and I'd like to introduce a little bit. And I, again, I think this this way of working and this transparency that that this Zoom world has created for us um, it might might help us do that a little bit easier. Yeah, it is a difficult problem, isn't it? Like to have an organization that wants to get stuff right and tries to button it down, or an organization that says, "Well, change is good," but by the same token, they can't lose. Uh, side of where they're going and just sort of drift around bumping and wasting money and time because obviously the clients have neither the spare budget nor the spare time to waste. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, but that is, I think, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe you'd comment, but it seems to me one of the hardest things for creative management or management of creative teams and companies is you do need to keep them relaxed and spontaneous, but you don't want a shambles. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the, the benefit of the, um, the mill and, and the business that we do is that it's always geared around an output. I think that helps a lot is, is that when you're engaging on a project, you know that you're going to be making something. Um, 
And I think that differentiates from some of the other potential, you know, marketing services companies that are out there. Um, I would think probably one of the hardest things to do right now is to be in a consultancy and trying to work with a brand to navigate to your point, what's the world going to look like five years from now? <laughs> That's a tough one. But, but yeah. you know, the, the question around what can we make right now to, to help reach somebody is, um, I think that that's a good magnet for creative talent. Well, Josh, I, I uh, applaud the stuff that you guys have been doing. It's amazing. Um, it's fun, creative that people, I, you know, I want to watch the ads, which is extraordinary because I don't normally want to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I like the, uh, you know, I've always liked the vibe that you guys have had. So thanks so much for taking time to talk to us about it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for making the time. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this week. Um, as I mentioned at the outset, the Future of Creative Technology is a free virtual event uh, that the mill is running between Monday the 22nd and Friday the 26th of March. It's going to be on YouTube Live. Um, they're going to have a couple of hours of talks and panels each day, including some uh, q and I'm not involved with the event. I'm just looking forward to going to it because obviously we're very interested here at uh, FX Guide on real-time and virtual production, especially in the hands of a company as uh, proficient creative and just generally awesome as the mill well that's it for this week uh thanks so much for joining us i'm mike seymour see you please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts you can reach us by clicking the contact us link at the top of the homepage. this podcast is copyright fx guide llc Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.